Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 275 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is June 17th. 2013 we've got a big show for you coming up on the podcast we've got dan weber a little bit later on in the show we got coach harvey hyde in the first segment we got twitter questions to get to some voicemail questions email questions lots of usc offseason questions so we're going to try to get to each and every one of those thanks for sending them in and if you want to send one in for next week email us podcast at uscfootball.com or call 206-888-6755, or you can even go to peristylepodcast.com. That's our website for the show. Leave a voicemail right there from your computer. And we have Coach Harry Hyde here in the first segment. What's going on, Coach Haria? Well, happy Father's Day to everyone out there. And uh, I just uh, am in a good mood. Spent some time with my family yesterday. Just got a good workout in, and uh, we're into the beautiful months of... Uh, you know, summer, and it's time to get ready for football. I'm going to start reading the publications as soon as they come out. What else is there to say, Ryan? What else is there to say? I know. Well, happy Father's Day to you, Coach. And I wanted to thank, uh, thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com, or go to 1-800-888-7287. Call them there. If you need tickets for any kind of sporting event here in Southern California or across the nation, or if you want to go to show, anything like that, you can go to sctickets.com, and they will certainly help you out well coach we got some questions to get to we're gonna do uh, we'll do we've got a couple uh email questions first but then we have some twitter questions to get to i know you're not a twitter guy yet coach but these guys come in 140 characters quick questions so we'll we'll do some little rapid fire later in the show if you want to do that well let's do that i tell you i got a new phone for father's day it's an iphone okay oh wow and guess what the phone rang and i didn't know how to answer it <laughs> What do you think about that? <laughs> well, you'll so learn. So I've got to go over to Verizon and have somebody give me a lesson. So don't call me on my cell because I don't know how to answer it. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll maybe we'll get you a Twitter <laughs> app on there. You can get on okay. Twitter. Coach Harvey okay. Hyde on Twitter. That'd be fun to see. Um, we got a. Let's see. Let's start off. We got Melvin had a couple of questions. He said, first, uh, do you think the offensive line is going to shape up, shape up this year compared to last year? Guys like. Banner, Simmons, Fala, DePaulo. Do you think they'll get some playing time and join the other guys like Martin and Turek and Walker to develop into a cohesive offensive line? Well, I don't know. Uh, I, I know you should. Uh, I've heard Coach Summer say he's going to play his best five from the, what he learned in the NFL and find a place for them to play and play them all as a unit. I think uh, when he decides who those first five are, they'll be a unit. They play together. They learn how to recognize things together. And when you mix it up a lot and play a lot of different players, it really doesn't work well. I've learned that. I was, I'm an old offensive line coach. Now, if someone doesn't play well, then you have to give someone another opportunity. But one thing you don't mess with is the offensive line. They communicate together. They make their calls together. They can look at each other, and they know exactly what the, that signal might be. And uh, I think that uh, – uh, when you're aggressive and you're not making mistakes and 
and uh, you're coming off the football and you're blocking the right people, you're not going to play a lot of people. You're not going to play a lot of people in the offensive line unless I'm not, unless someone's not performing. And, of course, if you're way ahead in the game, then, of course, you want to develop young talent or talent you have or give players an opportunity who are almost equal with your starters to have an opportunity to play because you never know when one of those guys are going to go down. But the rotate players in the offensive line, I think, causes your offensive line not to be as good as it can be. And uh, I think it hurts it. So that's just my opinion. And if you're a parent that sent this in, I understand your concern. Just tell your son to keep working hard. And when his opportunity comes, get in there and make it happen. And maybe uh, the player coming back will never get his position back, but you outperform him. But uh, when I'm uh, when I was coaching the offensive line, I picked who my guys were, and they were my unit. They were the guys that got it done, aggressive, had pride in their position as a unit, and they have to play as a unit to get it done. All right, then Melvin had one other one for you, Coach. He said, with Farmer and Mitchell now down, he's talking about George Farmer and Stephen Mitchell, wide receivers that both had knee injuries that are out for the year. Do you think Victor Blackwell and Darius Rogers can handle the depth situation, or will we have to start using more double tight end formations to help with depth at wideout? Well, they certainly have the talent. They've proven to me they, they have the talent. They've come into USC as four-stars and five-star players, and why shouldn't they be able to do it? I watch them in the spring. I think they're excellent receivers. They've got excellent talent. So, you know, someone's got to step up. And it's not a bad idea to use uh, two tight ends in your offense, too, either double tight or slots with two tight ends or H-backs with a tight end instead of the fullback. It puts a, a lot of stress on the secondary, but you're bigger than they are when you have tight ends in the game. And you have a better blocking type of offense, too, when you have tight ends in the game. And you have great play-action pass out of two tight ends in the game. But I think that Blackwell and I think that Flournoy and I think some of these, and Rodgers, I think Rodgers is great talent. He's great talent. Had a great spring. So, uh, yeah, they have talent in those, at those positions, and it's impossible when you have Aguilar and you have Lee to cover everybody. You just spread the field. But it goes back to the number one thing I keep talking about all the time. you got to run the football. When you run, once get the respect of the defensive side of the football, to respect your running game, everything else comes along smoothly. All right, Coach. Thanks for that, and thanks for Melvin for sending those in. Um, here's someone that disagreed with one of your takes on a, on a previous podcast. I'll read this one to you, Coach. He said, I have to disagree with Coach Harvey Hyde about the, the uh, summer workouts, and injuries are going to happen on or off the field. I might be wrong on the player, but I believe Don Kennard, Devon Kennard was injured in the weight room, and a few years back it was Stephon Johnson as well. What I believe is needed is more supervised workouts by the coaches. The NCAA really needs to take a look at adding two days a week during the summer for two to four hours where only two coaches need to be on the field coaching and supervising the workouts. Even coaches say all the time the team needs to be going full contact with pads. I'm sorry, even the coach says all the time teams need to be going full contact with pads. So where is the common ground? Uh, he says, how much stretching do the players really do before the drills? And no one's supervising to make sure that they're what they're doing during one-on-ones and 11-on-11s. So he has some – I guess he, he wants to see the rules change so coaches can be out there for these summer workouts. Well, I tell you, you know, it's, it's always good to have coaches out there, but you're learning more. 
and you go out there with a plan of what you're trying to accomplish. And uh, uh, when the players are out there, I, I, I believe someone's told them what to work on and do this and do that. And there's leadership among your players, and you want to see who those leadership uh, players are, who the team follows, and, and all of that, which is good. Uh, yes, you do get players hurt in the weight room. That happens all the time. And I used to go in and scream and yell at my in my office with at the strength coach because sometimes they're going too heavy. Sometimes they're doing lifts they shouldn't be doing. I used to go in the uh, conditioning room all the time and see what they were doing and pay attention to it because I didn't want the world's strongest players. I wanted them to learn and do every exercise relate to the game of football. In some phase of every lift, have it relate to the game of football. They didn't need to squat 700 pounds, because we're not going to need to squat 700 pounds. Uh, bench pressing 350 pounds or 500 pounds, yes, that's good to demonstrate, but when do you use just one big blast in football? You don't. You want repetitions. You want conditioning. You want speed. You want agility. You want all of the above. So, uh, yes, but you're going to have injuries off the field. You definitely are. You're going to have them with kids getting hurt, not doing anything. I didn't let my players play basketball. I lost one of my top couple of players playing basketball in the in the spring because uh, they come down at their ankle, uh, tear their ankle um, ligaments. And I know a lot of schools let them play basketball. I, Pete Carroll was big. He used to play with his kids in basketball. But I didn't want to take any risks with that, too. But, uh, yes, uh, maybe it would be better if it was supervised uh, once or twice a week with the coaches on the field. I think you get a lot more done, and I think that there should be trainers on the field. I think there are trainers on the field. Uh, are there trainers on the field out there when they're out there, uh, Ryan? I, I don't go out there in the summer. Well, so the way it works is usually the players will have a, a team workout with the strength coaches. So strength coaches you can still do stuff with. They do it four days a week. I think it's about eight hours or so. The the actual coaches can't be out there. There are some sessions where the, the the position coaches and stuff can be there, but there's no footballs allowed. And when the strength coaches are out there, there's no footballs allowed. So there's strict rules. If there's a football out there, it's a practice, and you can't do that unless it's the spring, 15 practices in the spring, or fall camp or during the season. So once the strength coaches leave – to answer the question about are they stretching, they, they've already worked out usually before they do this workout. So they've done the stretch. They've done, they've worked out. Everyone's loose, and then they start throwing the football around normally in that situation. The strength coaches are gone. There are guys that are I, – I think they're managers. I don't know if they're trainers. Uh, there's usually water out there. Um, I'm not sure if it's a trainer or a manager, guys that will, like, have the bags of football and kind of help them with that. Uh, but for the most part, it's really just the players out there uh, on their own. Um, doing stuff. So I, I think it's more of a team manager that's out there as opposed to uh, an actual trainer. And I, I'm not sure exactly what the rules are for that. But basically, people involved with the football team can't really be around there once the players are out there throwing around with footballs. It has to be completely on their own. They can get instruction beforehand, coach. They might get a script or something that you know the coaches would want them to run while they're out on the field, but the coaches can't be there and watch them do these workouts. Right. Well, you know, if they're going to change any rule at all, there ought to be trainers out there. When these kids are out there, if someone gets hurt, you got to have immediate medical assistance immediately. And somebody could get hurt but accidentally, uh, just like when Stevie Mitchell went down or anybody else went down. So uh, I think if, uh, if the first rule I'd change, if you can't have a trainer out there, you better make sure you have a trainer out there. And if you can't have a trainer out there, 
You might as well have a couple of trainers out there or interns out there or cellular phones out there to communicate with the training room. So if something happens to a player, you're able to give that player immediate medical aid. But as far as uh, this gentleman is concerned, I agree. I think that uh, there are injuries in the weight room, and those are sometimes unavoidable, and, and, and it's, not, it's not something you want to happen. But I think you try to have to look at that in a way where you eliminate uh, the chance of an injury in, in the uh, weight room. And then on the field, it would be nice to be able to have coaches out there supervising. But if, the, if they worked out twice a week, and they had coaches out there, I think they'd accomplish more than they worked out four days a week without coaches out there. And they'd have more time off. So I'm in favor of that, as this gentleman is, too. All right. Uh, well, Coach, we wanted to do some of these Twitter questions I put, I put on Twitter this morning. Hey, any off-season questions? So we'll go through some of these kind of rapid-fire. Uh, they're, they're usually short questions because you can only be 140 characters, which is kind of nice. And uh, we'll jump through some of these, if that's okay with you. That's fine. All right. Uh, Douglas uh, Griffith, he says, will the conference-wide ban on tackling during the fall negatively affect Pac-12 teams versus out-of-conference opponents? What do you think? Well, I definitely do. The next thing the Pac-12 will go to is flag football. (laughs) Uh, uh, I mean, you know, you hear me talk about it all the time. Football is a game that's a physical football game. And the way you learn to play football is not playing it with a tennis racket in your hand. <laughs> and and right now, you know, Larry Scott, uh, I don't know if he ever played the game of football or coached a game of football. I don't know how many college presidents ever played the game of football or coached a game of football. Or athletic directors, a lot have. And everyone is so concerned today about injuries, which we all are. But a lot of them, if you did a study, they don't come all the time from physical tackling or physical scrimmaging or whatever it takes to get ready to play football. I've said this all along. They come from other type of drills that are a part of of football practice. So I think you learn to play the game of football by tackling and scrimmaging and doing the things that are necessary to do what it takes to get ready for your first football game. So by doing that, I definitely think it's going to hurt the final product of getting ready for a football game when you haven't been able to uh, do the other things that other conferences are doing. They say they're going to be the lead conference and this stuff happening. Uh, You know, uh, football is a physical game. If you're going to eliminate injuries, then you eliminate the things that cause injuries. I mean, you try to the crackback block, the chop block. Those are all blocks that were legal at one time, but they're now being eliminated, which I agree with 100%. Uh, those are the things. I think the number one thing that's not being enforced is the protective equipment. And I've said this on so many of our podcasts or other broadcasts I do. I don't think the helmets are properly fitted. When you can pull a helmet off by just reaching on the face mask and pulling it off, is that helmet fitted properly a helmet is supposed to go on where you pull out on the ears slide it on top uh tightly and you and you protect your head uh i think that's part of of what you need to do how about the knee pads these kids pants if they if they get any shorter they'll be in shorts <laughs> i mean 
there's no covering of the knee now when you watch these players play. What happened to the knee pads? What happened to the hip pads? What happened to the tail uh, tail pad? What happened to those pads that players used to wear? And they're all cutting them and making them smaller and smaller and smaller because they think it affects the speed of the game. Well, okay, if everybody has to wear the same pad, then everything's going to be equal. But I think they got to go back and make sure that people are wearing the correct protective equipment and it's fitted properly. So, you know, you got to go back and look at all of these things. Uh, remember, they used to wear the big hip pads. You used to wear shoulder pads that are bigger. You used to wear, wear one face mask. And when you wore one face mask or one bar or two bars, you didn't put your face into a guy as often when you made a tackle, but it just made sense. But today with all these cages and, and visors on their face mask and all these different things, it protects them more to put their face into the uh, and use more head tackling. So I think they got to look at the equipment. they got to look at these aspects of the game. And I believe that if you don't hit in practice, you'll get hurt in the game. The body doesn't become accustomed to the physical part of the game unless it's in that type of environment often. And if they're not in that and they play another team that's been hitting and ready to play, their body is better conditioned than your body. That's my answer to that. All right. Uh, Let's go to Ninja on Twitter. And she wants to know if you had to pick two of the three – no, if you had to pick one of the three quarterbacks to start for your team, Coach – who would it be? You had you had college football teams in the past. If you had to pick one of these quarterbacks, who would you pick? Well, I, I, I'm looking at it as what I see just on a Saturday. I don't go to practice every single day. I go uh, whenever they're scrimmaging, but I like to evaluate it in a game-like situation. Uh, you know, there are some players that look great in just drills. They're really great in drills, or they're great in – in shorts and t-shirts uh, because there's no physical hitting going on. So I used to call them half-speed All-Americans. You've got to be a full-speed All-American when the pressure is on and you got to perform. So I like to go on Saturdays. And then the, in the Saturday scrimmages that I've seen, and Max, of course, missed a week or more because he had a knee injury, which I thought was uncaused. Uh, this don't get into that. <laughs> but, but I would go with Kessler because from what I've seen so far, the kid performed. He's a playmaker. He's not fancy, but he gets it done. He doesn't need to be fancy when you have great players surrounding you. What you got to do is have a guy that gets the ball to the great players surrounding him and run the football and make it possible for this kid to perform. And don't put it all on one person's back. Like Matt Barkley, it was all on his back. If they didn't win, everybody was on Matt Barkley. Hey, it's a team game the last time I checked on it. You've got great players. So I would give it to a guy that gets the ball to the players that surround you. And right now, what I've seen going into the fall, it would be Kessler, Wittick, and Brown. All right. Uh, thanks for that, Coach. Let's go to Andrew. And no oars. No oars. I love the no oars, yes. I would, I would ban oars from the depth chart. Um, Andrew Hogue had a question. Uh, 
I probably have to. I'll answer this first, then you let, get your thoughts. Uh, who is the best looking true freshman so far? And so we got to see six of the true, or really seven of them, uh, in the spring. And then there's six more that are on campus now. Um, and uh, to me, probably the best looking just overall, like Kenny Bigelow just looks great. He's 305 pounds right now. But Justin Davis, it's hard to argue the way he performed in the spring. I mean, he was amazing coming out there and made a push to really start. I think those guys have looked good. And then seeing Ty Isaac come in, um, you know, 225, 230 pounds, whatever he is, 6'2"-ish, uh, I think he's a really good-looking kid. We just haven't seen the new guys, the, the new freshmen that we haven't seen in the spring. We've only got to see in these summer workouts. Haven't got to see them a whole lot yet. They've only been out there a couple of weeks. So it, it's probably the, you know, don't have enough information on, on those guys. But, Andrew, those are the guys I think that have been impressive. I mean, not, they've all been great, but those are the ones, I guess, that have stood out the most. And, Coach, maybe if you want to share who you thought looked good of the freshmen just that you've seen in the spring maybe. Well, you know, the ones I saw in the spring, I saw, of course, Bigelow and Hawkins, uh, Davis, um, Rogers. What other two were there? I can't Max remember. Brown. I don't have anything in front of me. Max Brown, too. I mean, obviously. Max Brown, yeah. that's right. And one more. Liam McQuay. Yeah, McQuay. Yeah. I, I, I would say Justin Davis. As you said, I think that uh, he deserved, or if he was going to be my rookie of the spring, uh, an award I used to use, rookie, rookie of fall camp, rookie of the spring, it'd be Justin Davis. There's no doubt about it. I thought by far he was the best back in the spring. He's got a lean. He runs hard. He came in not with any experience whatsoever. And I thought at the end of the spring, if I was starting a, uh, with a game the next Saturday, he'd be my starting running back. Uh, and I'd play him, and he wouldn't come out of the game. That's where I am. Uh, he wouldn't come out of the game. He'd come out of the game when I told him to come out. <laughs> Otherwise, he'd stay in there. And if we gave him the ball 30 times in a row, he wouldn't look to the sideline either. But if he came out and said, oh, I just made a 40-yard gain, I'd say, we'll go right on through the tunnel, son, because we won't use you anymore. Because you're tired. Go in there and lay down. So, you know, this is my philosophy. My philosophy is when you earn a starting spot and you're the best, you're going to play. And the timing is better between you and the offensive line and the quarterback, and this is the way it goes. But right now, my rookie of the spring, and the others had a, some good good springs. Now, don't get me wrong. Remember, this recruiting class had, if I remember correctly, four five-stars and seven four-stars. Is that correct? Uh, actually, five five-stars, but yeah. Five five-stars. So there's some pretty good players here. But I think the guy that stepped up, and I cannot evaluate any players that I haven't seen, the new ones that are just coming in, it would be Justin Davis. Hard to argue with that, Coach. Uh, let's go to uh, Matt Rexroad. He says, can we, make the Pac-12, can we make it in the Pac-12 with a bunch of first-year starters in the defensive backfield? Well, I think you're going to have to. Or you're going to have to get somebody to really step up and play or move some people around. I think you've got some safeties that will be uh, able to get it done. Uh, my concern, and I've said it all along, is the corners. You've got to have some corners. If you're going to play man, they can play man. In the spring, I didn't see that. I didn't see guys, not that they weren't good athletes. I, I didn't see them really with the confidence of playing man. Remember, when you play man defense as a corner, you got to have confidence. Come on, throw the ball over my way, please. 
Play sword <laughs> over here so I can just knock the hell out of you, first of all. And the next thing, you intercept the pass. Uh, you've got to be a little cocky. You've got to be a little arrogant to play corner. You've got to have the confidence that, please, just throw it over here so I can prove that you're, you're not going to catch a pass this game. And if you do, it's going to be a five- or six-yard pass, and I'm going to not taunt you, but you're going to smell my breath because I had garlic this morning for breakfast. And uh, that type of attitude, not to be crude, but to be honest with you, you've got to have a person out there that can have this attitude. I haven't seen that attitude. I haven't seen that confidence right now at corner. Not that they can't get this confidence at corner, but they've got to bring this along if you're going to play man defense. All right, let's go to Tom Tolman. He says, will the coaches look first for game management ball security skills or playmaking ability as the decider about the starting quarterback? You, you talked about what you would do, Coach. What do you think the Lane Kiffin and the coaching staff will do? Well, you know, I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, None of us do. Because <laughs> sometimes they demonstrate different standards. Uh a quarterback can throw five interceptions in a game, and he'll start the next game. Uh, back and fumble the ball, and you never see him again for five games. So it's a, still a turnover. Uh, myself, uh, I don't know what what they'll do. Uh, it, it's I think you have to be fair and understanding, and players want fairness. Players understand fairness, and I think you have to be consistent at your rules. You have to be consistent on enforcing your rules and regulations. It isn't one rule for this guy and a different standard for that guy. It's got to be all the same. And backs are going to fumble the football. Quarterbacks are going to throw interceptions. Receivers are going to drop, drop footballs, not catch every ball. Every play is in a home run or a touchdown. But I think you've got to be able to have patience. You've got to have concern. Remember, a player never does anything on purpose. And as a coach, you are a teacher. You are a teacher. So if uh, these players don't need to be taught, then there's no need to have you out there. That's the coach. So I think that uh, it's a combination of both. And I think that uh, if someone fumbles a football, you work with him not fumbling the football, and you put him right back. It's the same old theory about falling off a bike or falling off a horse. You get right back on it and ride it again. And I think you've got to show the confidence that you have in that player when that player does something that might not be what is the best for him or the team. And there goes my new cellular phone, and go. I want you to know I have no idea how to turn <laughs> it off. So I am sorry. That's <laughs> Just sit on it for a second, Coach. That's cool. Um, okay. Well, here, we we got one from Kyle Croft. I guess I'll just answer this one. He wants to know, how is Ty Isaac adjusting, and how is Sewell Cravens recovering? Um, like I said, we've only seen Ty Isaac out there a couple of weeks, but he definitely looks the part. He looks good. He looks like he's moving out there pretty well, getting uh, getting along with the summer workouts. We can't talk to these guys yet. Um, we can't talk to those guys that haven't practiced yet, so uh, we can't really get a, get his take on what's going on there, but we will get an update from him when fall camp starts they usually let us start interviewing those guys and about Sua Cravens he's been out there uh participating he looks good moving around so he seems to be recovering uh very nicely 
Um, there's one coach from George Para, and we also had one from uh, James Braxton. They're both talking about uh, moving guys to wide receiver. So George wants to know, with the injuries at wide receiver, do you think the coaching staff will plan on switching players from other positions to wide receiver? And James wanted to know specifically, maybe moving Ty Isaac or Buck Allen uh, to running backs to wide receiver. What do you think about the the, the possibilities there, Coach? No, um, <laughs> I think I think Buck Allen is a a running back. He's not a receiver. He's not built like one. And I thought he had a pretty good spring personally. And he's just learning the game as far as a running back and. I think he matured in the spring. Uh, probably in the spring, he might have been the number two running back. So I wouldn't move him. Ty Isaac, he's a new kid coming in. You recruited him as a running back. I don't think it would be right to move him. You promised him certain things. Uh, and I think you have to go along with it until he can't prove he can be a running back. I don't think that's right for the kid. He came there to be a running back, and that's where he should be. And as I answered it earlier, you still have quality receivers on the <laughs> you have the strongest group of receivers in the country I yeah <laughs> I mean, why would we need to move anybody, or why would s c need to move anybody? It's time for these guys Blackwell. I mean, I thought he had a great spring, a great spring. Rogers is going to be a great player, Flornoy, I mean, how many receivers do you need so uh no i I think they stay right where they are. Okay. Uh, John K., I'll do this one real quick, Coach. How is the linebacker crew adopting the new scheme, and is Ruffin ready to play? We need size and speed uh, infusion at linebacker spot. They they look good. I think they have they seem to be more purposeful, and Dan Weber will talk about this probably in the next segment a little bit. We have a question from that um, and the summer workouts. But I like what they've been doing out there. I, I, I really like the way the defense has been looking. So and I think Ruffin can play a part. He seems to fit – him and Scott Starr, like their size, seem to fit pretty well in the new scheme there. Um, so I like that. Uh, Greg Katz wanted to know, any chance Eddie Vanderdose goes to USC? Uh, no, he's going to UCLA. Sorry about that, Greg. And then one last one for you, Coach. 805 USC fan says, with the team we have now, I feel that the group of incoming freshmen has given the program a shot in the arm. Do you agree, Coach? I agree. I think it's a great recruiting class. Uh, of course, there's a few players uh, I'd like to have seen Fitz there. It's too bad Fitz isn't there, but I think that would open doors for other players uh, from the Inland Empire to come to uh, USC. I watched Fitz in the spring. I thought he did a good job for UCLA, went to their scrimmages. and uh, But I think that uh, overall, they've done a good job. They've thrown them right in there. I haven't seen now the fall uh, recruiting group uh, and ask Dan to go over that I, 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 or Ryan whenever you guys can I think a lot of people would like to know about Rogers and linebacker well, from uh, De La Salle and, and these guys Hutchings and, and these guys how they're actually fitting in and what they really look like uh, I'm anxiously looking forward to see them in pads and, and see just how they go against some of these people so maybe you can touch on that because I think that's a damn good question. Yeah, certainly. And we'll we'll keep putting up videos and photos uh, on uscfootball.com of those guys as they do more. But like I said, they've only been there a couple weeks. They're, they're getting into it um, a little bit more now. But obviously, we'll see them a ton in fall Where camp. Where are they playing, Rogers? Left or right guard? 
Uh, you know, I haven't seen where they're doing the, in the workouts there. They're just kind of going through drills. At, at, when he came in, I'm you know I'll have to check and see what they're where which part they're playing him in because they'll do like eleven on eleven during these workouts, but they've moved him around when they're just doing drills. So I'll check and right. see where he's at. But he's definitely playing guard. He he looks good. I like the way he's looked. His body looks pretty good. Good. All right, great. Well, coach, thanks again for uh, coming on the show, doing a little Twitter questions this week. It's a lot of fun to to mix it up and try some different stuff. But thanks again for uh, coming on the show. Hey, thank you, and for all of you that tweeted us. With all those questions, we thank you. It works well, especially during this period of time, really, when there's not much action going on except for summer drills and recruiting and verbals and all of that. (laughs) So uh, uh, keep them coming, and we'll keep doing the show. Thank you very much, Ryan. All right. Thank you, Coach, and everyone else. We'll be back in 30 seconds. We're going to talk with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. we got uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber joining us on the line. What's going on, Dan? How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. Uh, it, this is kind of our turnaround week or so. Maybe you, you really can start to see, uh, you know, with less than 50 days till our first practice. So you really can quite, a, you know, sort of see it. In the, you know, down the road here, football is is coming. The news, uh, uh, the newsstands are starting to get. Uh, it's amazing how much earlier the uh, college football magazines are hitting the stands now. So uh, that kind of starts to get you in the mood. I think every every year, and I think we get the the third one that makes it to the stands. I think Athlon and Lindy's were out there first, and then Phil Steele gets there tomorrow. So. That may be the one USC fans might might really like to try to find if they can. Yeah, check it out, and uh, it's it's interesting with the spring football done. Everyone's in their off season summer workouts, and we've been down there, you know, watching all the developments of what's been going on. We talked about the Stephen Mitchell injury last week, and uh, you know, for the most part, there there's not a whole lot uh, of big news going on. But I guess, and when this is our first question, Dan, I'll play this voicemail for you. There's a there's a player that we took pictures of, and uh, showed him down there that people thought was, was not going to be around the program anymore. So here, here's the question for you to start us off on the podcast today, Dan. J.D. from D.C. Got a question for Dan this week. Dan, uh, since there's a possibility Abe Markowitz might return, which would be great news, where would you see him slotting in on the depth chart in this line? What position? And uh, you think he could break into the uh, starting uh, crew, given his experience, if he stayed in shape? Yeah, JD, uh, a good question. Obviously, I think I think the thing you like about Abe, he's going into his sixth season. You know, he's, he's a kind of twenty-two-year-old, got his degree, wants to stay at USC, has turned down scholarship opportunities to go elsewhere, even if he has to pay his way. I don't think they've made the final decision yet because they're 
seems to be some NCA penalty involved if he comes back after they declared him as a uh, as a graduate. Uh, but uh, the thing that Abe does is he gives you a backup if he's a backup at both guards and center. Gives you a really uh, quality technical center, a guy who snaps the ball consistently, a guy who, if you didn't know better, like in the summer workouts before he was completely incorporated, you know, back into the team, he looks like a grad assistant uh, almost. Uh, he's really, uh, uh, you know, he's a veteran. He's a leader, a uh, guy that shows up and, you know, puts in his time. Uh, will do anything you know you need him to do i think the thing he offers the most whether he's a you know a starter at any one of those three spots when and if they need him he also gives mike summers the opportunity to find the best five guys the best five combination and the idea of keeping competition alive that that you have other people who can play i think that was the that was the issue last year for much of the season and and in certain games that they didn't really have anybody to plug in. So, uh, you know, when you're, you know, starting the year out with, uh, 69 scholarship players, uh, having an Abe Markowitz on top of that is a, a really, really a big bonus. So, uh, so you could see him in a, in a lot of different roles, all of them, uh, a plus for this team. And Abe, you know, he had uh, a little surgery, uh, on that uh, shoulder injury that he got in the Syracuse game, it wasn't exactly perfect the rest of the year and, uh, cleaned that up. Uh, didn't, didn't do spring practice, but, uh, is out there really working hard doing all the, all the exercises, all the conditioning stuff, all the, went through everything and, uh, feeling pretty good about himself. He said, I said, you got some weight to lose. And he says, well, everybody's got some weight to lose. Not <laughs> <laughs> He's talking about mostly, I think, the 22-year-old guys. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, he, uh, I think he really, he's a big plus, just having one more. I mean, he's earned a starting spot two different years for this USC program. So basically you're bringing back one more starter on an offensive line that pretty much, you know, brought everybody back but one. So that's a help, a big help, yeah. Yeah, so we got to see him out there. Um snapping some footballs, working on some of the linemen drills. He wasn't out there for the official team workout uh, when the coaches and stuff were out there, but then he comes out afterwards when it's just a players-only thing. And uh, I think this last time we saw him on Friday, he was more involved than we had seen him all summer. Right, and he did get to do, uh, and I don't know, we don't get to see all of the you know, the conditioning stuff, but he did get through all of the official conditioning stuff as well. So, and I don't know how they, exactly they, you know, they structure that because again, that's uh, that's just between the coaches and the and the players and, and no media. But uh, he was very pleased about, you know, kind of being incorporated. He's uh, he's been uh, given his uh, scholarship through the summer, so that's uh, two months where you know he's he's in a uh, uh, an internship class, I guess, uh, and he's also on stipend for for the two months. So. It enables him to, you know, pay for, pay for room and board, and uh, you know, be able to concentrate on, on football. Although he does have a job that he he got to keep by by being back in school, he got to keep his job in the accounting department that he's had, 
uh, for his whole career at USC. But he really now doesn't have to get a job outside of school and can just focus on uh, fall and, and football, and that, that's a good deal. All right. Uh, well, you mentioned him kind of acting as a graduate assistant. We did get a question last week uh, about graduate assistants. I know you have an update there, so maybe you can uh, share your thoughts on USC's graduate assistant situation at this point. Yeah, I, I don't think it's been totally updated in terms of, uh, say, like, you know, the USC's website and what have you, but Ross Cumming is the, the lone holdover, and Ross, the former uh, linebacker, fullback, tight end, blocking back, whatever you wanted to call him, and did everything well. Uh, he's in his second year, and he's going to assist both with the uh, uh, tight ends and, and linebackers. And uh, that keeps him with Coach John Baxter, who uh, is picking up linebackers or uh, tight ends this year. So uh, then they've hired three, there are three new in, you know, incoming grad assistants. Uh, John Farmery, a former Laverne player, and a former Cal grad assistant for Clancy Pendergast is coming down to USC, and he's going to work with the secondary. Uh, uh, then there's Jaron Fairman, who uh, played at Fresno State and coached at Crespi. He's going to be kind of like the special teams coordinator uh, with with Coach Baxter. And then uh, uh, we have uh, Kyle Williams, who was the same name as a USC player, but uh, – from Kansas State, who was a strong safety at Kansas State, he will also concentrate on the secondary. So two of them are going to be secondary, uh, concentrate on the secondary with Coach Pendergast, and uh, two of them will have special teams involvement with coming also uh, getting uh, to work with the outside linebackers. Okay. Um, so as far as, like, the distribution, do you think that works pretty well having – more guys on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, there's not as many full-time guys on the defensive side. Do you think that helps? Well, I mean, if you got two grad assistants, one who has already worked with uh, Coach Pendergast, and Coach Pendergast also, that gives you three guys working with the defense, with the secondary every day. And, uh, and I think that, uh, I mean, that's as good a, as good as good a way as you can do it. If you, you know, if you're kind of uh, locked in, I like probably the idea of moving Coach Baxter, who had coached tight ends his whole career, I think, at Fresno State, uh, uh, and, and, and putting his expertise on that side, I think that's a good idea. And then uh, I think they needed to kind of lighten the load with him uh, with special teams. So you've got uh, uh, Jaron Fairman and, uh, and uh, Ross Cumming also helping out there. So yeah, I, think, I think they did it pretty well, you know, considering uh, – that they're, you know, the commitment is to keep two offensive line coaches. So then you're, you're kind of a little heavy uh, on the offensive side. So, uh, so, I mean, I think, you know, basically they hired uh, none of the four are uh, offensive coaches, basically. So uh, Try to balance it out a little bit. <laughs> they did it as well as they could. Um, all right. Well, we have another voicemail question. This is about a, another player that we didn't get to see in the – Spring. Here's here's another one for you, Dan. Hi, this is Bill Mockridge from Cerritos, California, lifetime Trojan fan. Uh, my question is, whatever happened to Scott Starr? I uh, haven't uh, seen him on the depth chart, heard anything more about him. Thought he was a great player. Uh, just haven't heard, No, nobody knows anything about where he went. Thank you. Bye. Well, actually, if I were standing outside the McKay Center, I'd probably tell you, 
Scott Starr just went by on his skateboard because every <laughs> time I leave the case center, Scott Starr is going by on his skateboard. Uh, he said the other day he's about 80% uh, back, he says, from that cervical cervical spine up, up in his neck uh, injury that he had to get taken care of uh, in the fall uh, after you know, playing playing some middle linebacker, he's 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 probably says he thinks he'll he'll be a hundred percent by August that he will be uh, fully cleared. He's going to move outside. He's about about two thirty five. You know, six three two thirty five. Looks uh, looks good and is real excited about um, his opportunity because he, he, that's where he played in high school. He's real excited about going back out there. So he'll be out there with. Jabari Ruffin, two guys, you know, comparable skill sets, comparable size, and uh, two young guys with, uh, with some, you know, with some real potential uh, behind the, the two seniors and Devon Kennard and Morgan Breslin. So kind of a nice way for USC to, to have things lined up. But uh, uh, the reason you haven't heard about Scott is didn't get to, you know, finish out the season, didn't get to finish, uh, didn't get to practice in the spring. And he hasn't been cleared yet, but he's out there every day. He doesn't uh, do any of the uh, potentially were you know in the throwing sessions where they could run into one another and all of that. So we don't get to see him, but uh, he looks good on his skateboard. I'll tell you that when he goes <laughs> by, he's a, he's a big uh, big old skateboarder. So uh, uh, I think you'll be hearing I think you'll be hearing from Scott as he as he gets back into the the mix of things, Bill. All right. Uh, thanks for that. We'll see. We'll keep keep you guys updated on what's going on with uh, Scott Starr and some of the other players returning from injury. Uh, we have one from Brad in uh, Santa Clarita. He says, Dan often mentions that with all the offensive weapons, USC needs to run more plays. I can't tell from his statements if this only if if this is only his analysis or what he is seeing in practice. I think most USC supporters would agree. But we also agreed last year that running 20 bubble screens a game wasn't a sound strategy, yet it continued. So the question is, are they running plays faster in practice? Has Coach Kiffin said he wants a more up-tempo offense, or will this become another flaw that we scream about from the stands and on the message boards, uh, but the coaches seem to be blind to? That's Brad in Santa Clarita. Well, I think it was a, a you know kind of a, a byproduct of the uh... – uh, uh, the roster control that they tried and the, uh, you know, injury protection kind of a strategy for the season, which uh, had USC, I guess, number 11 in the pack, just ahead of Colorado, but barely in terms of the number of plays run per game, uh, like 60, 64 or something like that. Uh, you know, and you were seeing teams running 30 more plays a game. And USC... USC's uh, average per play, you know, equaled Oregon. It just they didn't run very many. Uh, and that, that seems to be a problem. Part of the issue is the complexity of the offense. If you run a pro-style offense and you have all the, you know, very long play calls with lots of a line of scrimmage adjustments and all that, it's probably going to slow you down some. They, they certainly ran, ran it quicker with Clay Helton calling them in the spring. Uh, they started out running them quicker uh, in the summer. Uh, there's been a little bit of a slowdown as maybe they add a little more complexity to it. And uh, with uh, new guys being, you know, worked in and what have you, uh, 
uh, it doesn't run the same way with, as it does with the first team. It's something to keep an eye on. Uh, you would think if you've got uh, uh, Marquise Lee and Nelson Aguilar and USC's three tight ends, just for starters, you would want to put the ball in play a lot. And uh, uh, one would think that that's the direction they're going to go. It's certainly the direction they have been going. Uh, so all we can hope for is as much as they say, we're not going to look back to 2012, they look back to 2012 and say, we're never going to be right at the bottom in terms of number of plays we're running in the Pac-12. I don't care if you've got 69 players on scholarship or not. You need to put the ball in play and make defenses stop your weapons when you've got weapons. So uh, I don't think, you know, pulling in your horns and running the, uh, the Notre Dame game plan from a couple of years ago <laughs> is probably the way to go. Uh, and, and I think that message has gotten through. I, I think, I think, uh, I think, I think they'll run more plays. Uh, all right. Well, we also had some questions on Twitter as well, and I wanted to get to a couple of those if that's okay with you, Dan. Sure. Um, Joseph Cooley wants to know who is the leading candidate to start at running back, and how has the offensive line progressed since the spring? Well. They're more serious about the offensive line when you see them out there uh, at the throwing sessions, for example. They're doing more 11-on-11, and they're doing more uh, stuff on the side where they're just running through stuff and working on their calls and working on their their assignments. And the the thing you like this year is because of the way Mike Summers likes to do it, everybody makes calls. Everybody on the offensive line, it's everybody's responsibility. It's not just the center's job to call things out. And it's probably heartening for those who sometimes worried about Andre Walker's focus and ability to be in the game to see him standing up and pointing and yelling and telling people what's, what he sees and, and what the call is. I, it, looks, it looks better just in that way. Obviously, we're not, you know, we're not seeing him in and pads, and, and they were, you know, uh, a work in progress. Uh, they got jumped on the first two weeks in spring by a really pretty darn good defense, to say the least. And yet they fought back, and they came came back hard and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and made it a physical battle and took pride in that. So I think it's uh, they're moving in the right direction is all that we can say, and we'll see. As far as running backs, I think that's really interesting. I don't, I don't think we have a – we have a clue. Silas Red has been out a little bit with that meniscus, and uh, he he looks like he's not quite you know back yet for the throwing sessions, but he's there and he's kind of he's another one like Abe Markowitz. He's kind of a a great assistant figure in terms of being a you know veteran leader. But uh, you know when you see Trey Madden and Justin Davis, and uh, you just you know look and say you know I don't know right? I don't know how this is going to go. Uh, and uh, Tommy Robinson said last week uh, that he'd like to said he wouldn't have a problem with using three guys and figuring out a way. He said one of the important things for us to do is figure out, you know, what all these guys can do, and make sure we allow them to do those things and have different roles for different guys. So, uh, but as to, you know, will there be one go-to guy? I kind of don't think so. 
But how that's going to break down in terms of power running back and, you know, guys that can, you know, get in the slot, you know, Buck Allen, for example, do they uh, figure out a way to make him a slot receiver uh, with his uh, with his hands and with speed and, you know, his high school, you know, background is a, is a really good receiver? Uh, you know, you might see more than three. Uh, so I, I don't know that we're we're looking at, you know, a leading candidate as such, although, you know, Silas certainly, has, you know, comes back with the experience. And you got that DJ Morgan, uh, depending on his knee injury, he's that, you know, of all of those guys, he's that, that breakaway threat. And uh, so far, what we've seen is Ty Isaac, man, you know, you're 6'3", 230, you know, running out there looking like, uh, you know, um, sort of a hybrid kind of a, a player who also, you know, can catch the ball. Good speed. Um, kind of an interesting situation that uh, USC probably hasn't had for a while and uh, probably a good thing. Uh, uh, I think it'll be, you know, with, the, with the, uh, the secondary and the offensive line, I think the things everybody's going to be focusing on. I think the quarterback is going to be all, everybody else, you know, says, well, what about the quarterback? I think, the quarterback will be all right, but uh, but I think uh, you know that it'll be interesting to see how that works out. I don't think anybody has any idea on that on the running backs. Um, one last Twitter question for you, Dan, is uh, from Andrew: Who has made the biggest physical change this offseason? You know, I think Lamar Dawson. Actually, uh, when when people I think first saw him on the first uh, photos you put up. Uh, I think some of the first comments were, "Wow, Lamar's got to hit the weight room," and what he just us. And then I, you know, checked with him, and he was up to 235. That's the biggest he's been since he's been here. It's just a different looking 235. It's a uh, he kind of reorganized. Not that he was ever not in what looked like really good shape, but uh, he's got a kind of a leaner, cutter, more cut look. But uh, but he's 235. So and he got you know just. He just, you know, kind of get that look when you're, you know, you start to grow up. But uh, um, he might be the one, well, the one guy who I, uh, although Andre Walker at 305 looks really good. Uh, he looks just like probably where he ought to be and maybe where he always should have been. He probably, he obviously was way too heavy when he came in. He got, what, he got to, you know, when he got down to 295, that was too small. So at 305, you know, looks looks pretty uh, pretty pretty much right where he ought to be. So uh, I guess he'd be another candidate for for physically, uh, you know, getting to a place where you're going to say, okay, that, I like that look. That's a change, and that that's that's a good look. And one last thing, Dad, you'd mentioned at the uh, beginning of the segment about some of the the preview magazines coming out and they're coming out even earlier. I know there was some outrage on the, the peristyle, uh, at least one of the places where USC was ranked. And I know you have a column coming out, but I wanted to get your, maybe share a few thoughts on that before we let you go today. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think Phil Seal probably, you know, uses the most uh, stats, uses the most history is most, most of the more of a trend guy than anybody else. And he does have the best track record over the years. Uh, for uh, for his preseason picks, and he's got USC number six. And I know some people said, "No way, that can't be." Uh, doesn't he know who the, the you know our coach is? Uh, 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 uh. Well, 
I know. I think Bill knows how, you know, seven and six last year. He knows a lot of things. Uh, but I think, you know, he's looking at, and he knows, you know, scholarships and knows all that, all that, all the else, you know, whatever else that is. But basically, when you look at it, it's probably hard to argue that there are five teams with more good players than USC is. It's that simple. Uh, uh, he's got, uh, he's got uh, Oregon right ahead of USC. And then Texas, and you know Texas has probably had a had a worse couple of years than you know than USC. Uh, certainly, uh, the, you know their last two years, whether they have more talent or not, I'm, I don't know. You could say that. And then the top three are obviously Alabama, Ohio State, and Florida State. And yeah, they've got a lot of talent. Uh, so, but other than that, he's got USC ahead of uh, Stanford, Notre Dame. Uh, Got a bunch of Pac-12s ranked, uh, like in the top 30, 31. He's got uh, uh, Arizona State 27, Oregon State 28, bum, 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 Washington 30, and UCLA 31. So there's a cluster, and USC plays two of those teams on the road in places where they haven't played really well, in the heat of Tempe and in the cold or whatever the heck, fog, whatever you get in uh, Corvallis. <laughs> so, uh, uh you know, rankings mean, you know, we know how much rankings mean after last year. But basically, you know, I don't, I don't dislike that to say to the USC kids, you know, you guys can play. Just now you you got to go out and play. And to Lane, you know, you, you'd like to maybe have no pressure and sneak up on That's just not going to be. And USC probably, that should never be the role at USC that they're going to come in under the radar, uh, nor should you want to be. You know, if, if you want to be USC and want to be under the radar, then you don't want to be USC. Uh, so, uh, uh, but, you know, there it is, USC uh, above a whole lot of, whole lot of teams that, that people like, like Louisville, for example, um, uh, like uh, uh, Texas A&M. You know, teams with the really, you know, big-name quarterbacks with uh, a lot of people back, uh, you know, ahead of South Carolina and Clemson and other teams that are kind of the, you know, the hot hot teams. Uh, uh, you know, and obviously teams that USC plays like Notre Dame and Stanford who are 10 and 11. So uh, I think it's a good starting point. Uh, you know, there are no expectations in terms of, you know, winning a national championship, getting to the – which is in, in in the Rose Bowl this year, which would be nice, but uh, none of that. But at least, hey, you're good. You've got talent. You've got enough talent to play with everybody on your schedule. You've got enough talent to beat everybody on your schedule. Now what you do is up to you and your coaches. And uh, let's see what you can do about it. I, I think it's kind of like it. I kind of like that pick. Uh, and... Uh, you know, Phil's not afraid to go out on the limb a little bit. Uh, and it doesn't always work. But over the years, he's, he's been right more than, more than he's not been. So, uh, so we'll see. Uh, it would be nice to, to have a USC-Oregon uh, Pac-12 championship game and, uh, and see how that goes. Yeah, it's not. And just so people know, he's not picking USC sixth in the Pac-12. He's picking USC sixth in the country. So That's obviously, right. you know, it's a little. <laughs> you got uh, Alabama. You got Alabama. He's got uh, Alabama, Ohio State, Florida State, one, two, three, and then Texas, 
and uh, Oregon, four or five, and then USC. Yes, that's yeah. how it goes. You know, people Notre ask ten, uh, Stanford eleven. And people end up asking me what I think, and and it's hard because. I don't think they, they the, the talent that the team had last year should not have lost six games. I think a lot of USC fans just you you want to see them not lose that many games. Fans don't want to see that. But the what we saw in practices and what we saw talent on the field and the recruits coming in and all that stuff, it just didn't seem like there's no way this team should have lost that many games. And I look at this team this year and it's similar, um, you know, without the established quarterback and stuff. There, you know, obviously you could take a step back. Um, but I think the expectations are still pretty high because there is talent on this team that we've seen, and you see guys move on to the NFL, and it's it, there's no it doesn't seem like the reasons to lose are as numerous as the reasons you should win. Um, but after seeing last year, I think some of the fans are, are hesitant, and I think some of the members of the media are hesitant too. But Phil Steele, not so much. He thinks there's a lot of talent on this team; they should be number six. Well, I mean, I just think. Uh... It, it, in a way, it's easy, I think, to look at it in this way. Just the changes on defense alone, just the fact that they'll get the plays called, you know, on time, the formations called out and all that kind of thing that they didn't last year, just the total disorganization and, and inability to, to know what you wanted to do or how you wanted to stop people or what, what they could do and all that. I think they've got to be, you know, a touchdown better on defense. I just can't even imagine they're not going to be a touchdown better on defense. And they hit some good moments. They hit some good players. And I think they'll be a touchdown better on offense just because they're going to run more plays. I think the quarterback actually will be able to do more things just in terms of, you know, being able to, you know, having more escapability and having more ability to do the things they need done and not be trapped, you know, kind of in the pocket, having to throw the ball quickly on three steps and that kind of thing. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think you could look for a, you know a touchdown improvement on offense. Well, last year's team, kind of as badly as it performed, if they've been a touchdown better on offense and a touchdown better on defense, they might not lose a game and not even playing great. Uh, I don't think they'll turn the ball over as much. And, and so I think there are ways you can look at last year and say, but if, if only, I mean, how many games – should they absolutely have not lost? I mean, when you look at, you go back over the games and you think, you know, how, you know, obviously by the time they got to the Sun Bowl, uh, you know, that was one of the worst, uh, worst uh, USC games probably in history. But, uh, <laughs> and performances and, you know, disconnect between practice and the game and all the other stuff that happened there. Uh, and, you know, panic and every other way that that, that could go bad. Hopefully that remains you know, in their minds, but, uh, but uh, you know, it's a gutsy call to pick USC that way because, you're, you know, you're kind of calling it out on, here's what I think they will do that they didn't do last year, and here's what I think they won't do that they did do last year. Well, okay, that's, that's the kind of bet probably it wouldn't be a great bet, you know, if you were making that bet, but if you do make it and it's right, you come out looking pretty good. Yeah. So, We'll see. I'd rather have it be out there for them, though, and have the challenge out there. Basically, where you say, hey, no excuses. And I think that hopefully that's one thing they go into this year with. No excuses. We don't want to hear any excuses. Just go out and play. You know, that's it.
Makes sense. I think that would make a lot of USC fans pretty happy, Dan. Well, uh, thanks again for coming on the show. Lots of great stuff as we get through the offseason, 75 days till kickoff or something like that right now. Uh, so football will be here before you know it. Thanks again, Dan, for coming on the show. I enjoyed it very much. Uh, can't wait. All right, and everyone else, thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Music